I'm Jasmine Moradi, and you're listening to the Queens of Tech podcast, a podcast series about raising the voice of workplace champions. 60 plus questions in around 30 to 40 minutes with women, women of color, non-binary and transgender influencers about their journey into STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. I started the Queens of Tech podcast initiative in May 2022 because I would like to retain more women, women of color, non-binary, and transgenders in the tech industry. Talent is out there, but our work environment needs to improve for all to feel safer, stay authentic, and to be valued for our contributions. My vision is to raise the workplace ecosystem for all in tech by killing the imposter syndrome, stopping bad behavior, and increasing equity opportunities. Each podcast talk is built around 60-plus questions regarding upbringing, education, career path, DIB, and future advice. My mission is to bridge a gap between schools and workplaces by getting into the heart of my guest's personal life and career journey to inspire other girls, women, women of color, non-binary, and transgenders to unleash the full potential to reach top leadership roles in the tech industry. My goal is to raise the voices of tech champions around the world and together with companies, investors, and politicians, raise the challenges and opportunities around equity, inclusive, diversity, and belonging in our workplaces. Enough is enough. I would like to enforce companies to build a sustainable, inclusive culture to retain diverse talent so we keep the workforce power equity to continue building future diverse and inclusive products. Representation matters. Your voice matters. In this episode, I'm very excited to welcome my guest, tech queen Nicole Trick-Denbach, founder at the International Bravery Coach. Hello, Nicole. Hey, I'm so excited to join the legions of amazing people that were on this podcast already. And I'm very happy to have you joining us and being part of this powerful list. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So I'm living in Colorado right now and you're in Sweden. So it is still completely dark outside. I'm going to watch the sun rise from my window while we're on the phone. And I'm so excited about this. Now, let us dive into your journey into STEM. Hope you're ready for the Queens of Tech 60 plus questions. Let's warm up with a few fun facts about you. How would you describe your personality in three hashtags? Builder Brave, because that's what I teach. Woman in tech, because I was not destined to be a woman in tech. And then how did I get here? How would you describe your life in three sentences? She came, she did, she laughed. What kind of music stimulates and motivates you the most? This changes so often. Right now, it's strong female voices from all over the world. And I am so grateful for the music buffs and the women around the world who are putting together these incredible playlists. What's your personal motto? My personal motto actually comes from Admiral Grace Hopper. And I say it not 100% correctly because it's my motto, right? 
It's better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. What is your favorite book? Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen. What is your favorite podcast? Oh my goodness, this is too hard. I'm going to go with mine because I get to see the nuts and the bolts of it. I get to see the heart. I get to um, experience how my guests and my community members, the people who listen to my podcast, grow and experience because of my podcast. So it's called Celebrate Brave. Mac or PC? PC. There's something interesting about you that most people don't know. I think what I would share is that parenting is 5 million percent harder than I thought it was going to be. What is your hidden talent? I'm going to go with forgiveness. If you wanted to write a book about your life, what would the title be? Well, that happened. Great start, Nicole. Now, let us dig deeper. Our childhood has an effect on our adulthood. Our early experiences shape our belief about ourselves, others, and the world. Now, I want to discover your childhood. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Ohio. We moved a lot, and I graduated from an Appalachian county. The Appalachians are a very, very old mountain range. What was your dream job as a child? To be a writer. What was your favorite subject in school? Definitely English, 100%. What was your least favorite subject? It was the subject in which the teacher was rude. So that changed every single year. But the one that really sticks out for me was late in my education, and it was U.S. government and politics. What is your earliest memory of technology and the arrival of the Internet? There was this game for the desktops. It was the Olympics. You're going to notice a global theme in everything that drew me towards it. And you had to connect first into the whirly whirl of the Internet. And my grandfather kept picking up the phone because he didn't like the sound, but we couldn't get the game going. As soon as the game was going, we could hang up the Internet. And I just remember the roars of frustration about this game, this Olympic game. And which were the three first technology gadgets you owned? I had a quote-unquote smart diary, so it had batteries, and it would talk to me when I opened it. I got that as a gift in um, junior high school, I think. Then we had an Atari when everyone had moved past Atari. And then I never owned one, but my neighbor had a Nintendo, and I remember being utterly fascinated by that. Who was your female role model growing up and why? It was Anne of Green Gables. Anne of Green Gables is a character from Canada, and she was an orphan. She was supposed to be a boy, and that's part of my story, is there was an assumption that I would be a boy named Nicholas. And she was so smart, but she was so fierce, and she got into so much trouble, but she was so loyal and creative and loving. And I really carried her with me in my heart. And how do you then think where you grew up and the school you went to and the generation you come from influence your education and career choice? I'm American. I grew up very poor. And so I understand that we still believe the U.S. is the land of opportunity. And in some ways it is for mindset. But growing up poor is a reality. So I went to the schools that were available, right? There was no school choice. There was no this, that, the other thing. We were using books that were decades old. But 
we had libraries. Libraries are free. And my mom could take me to a library. And so I fell in love with books and I fell in love with learning. And I'm not very good with my hands. And I'm an amazing strategist, communicator, mediator, coach. And so that led me into college. And the whole experience created so much empathy and compassion because most of the time I can pass now as someone who grew up with means, but I did not. So I've been in the room with C-level at these top Fortune 100 companies, a few of them. And here I am, this girl from Appalachia with the stutter who grew up real poor. Like we didn't have central heat. So that has really inspired me to question four narratives, which is so important as a woman in this world, and then particularly as a woman in tech. Now, I'm going to read two quotes. First one, how does the universe expect me to choose a career path at 16? I can't even choose what I want for dinner. Second, Abraham Lincoln said, I quote, the best way to predict your future is to create it. So Nicole, I had to know the choice behind your career path. Where and what did you study at university? Money. It was just money. One of my very strong memories is going through the couch for change, for money, for food in the United States. And this is not uncommon today as well in 2023. Um, I was going to earn the most amount of money I could without utterly selling out my soul. And so I followed that down, which is why I'm not a writer. When what influenced you to get into your choice of field? I joined tech because they were paying $2 more an hour for a secretary while you were in school. And I really needed to have money going through school. And so I was working for a professor and I have his permission now to share the story with his name, Daniel Mose. And he was so creative and so outlandish and so unstructured that he really needed my support. And then his PhD candidates needed my support as well. And then there were some committees that needed my support as well. And so the first couple of weeks were agony because I did not understand these people. Here's this humanities person reading all these books. And here are these people who were like structured and tables and the, and the data. And, the. and it took me a couple of weeks. And then suddenly, I don't even remember where I was, but I remember how I felt when I realized, oh, we're trying to solve the same problems from a very different perspective. And then Daniel, he's from Brazil originally. He was so generous in talking me through decisions and systems and interconnectedness. And that just gave me a place to continue to return to and to find myself in this beautifully diverse industry called technology. And then what professional roles have you had before that led you to start your company? I ended my corporate career as a global senior director in change management and communications running global programs all over the world. And before that, I was a consultant who traveled all over the world. I worked in over 25 countries, which for somebody who grew up poor is a huge thing. And before that, I actually taught refugees, English, American culture, and quote-unquote assimilation for the federal government of the United States. And I just am so grateful that I got to play in all of those spaces. And what does the international braid we coach do? I coach one-on-one -on -one women in technology. 
We have a group element just because my clients are asking that. So I see myself as an extension of my client's career goals. And I'm really good at being brave in my career. I was a director at 30. And so I help bring that into their specific goals and their specific way. So every single one of my clients has a different experience. What is your title and what is your main responsibilities? I'm the international bravery coach. So I am a career coach and my main responsibility is to support my clients in their career goal for this career phase. And then my secondary responsibility, which is really important, is ensuring that they establish and internalize the skills that they're learning and the mindset that they want to have so they can use it for the rest of their career, not just when they're working with me. And why did you start the company? Because as much as I adored being the only woman in the room, that's sarcastic, I hated the only woman in the room or the woman who had budget responsibility or the woman who had decision-making ability. And it broke my heart, especially after I had children and I had my children in Germany where I lived for 13 years. It broke my heart to run against all of these what I thought were invisible barriers for mothers, but actually were always present. I was just willfully blind to them and watch my, let's call them like more gracious to themselves, less stubborn, run into the obstacles and quit. Brilliant, strategic, executional thinkers leave tech because it was just not worth it for them. And that breaks my heart. Now, I don't coach specifically moms because as I was looking around even more, I thought, wait a second, I started and every cohort starts almost 50-50, almost. But by the time that you look five years in, it's 70-30 and you look 10 years in and it's 80-20, 20% women. And I'm tired of it. We are such amazing thinkers. We created this darn industry, us women, and a few allies who underpaid us, but back to the point, right? And we deserve not only to craft the spine of every single industry, which is technology, but we deserve the wealth that goes along with that. What does a typical workday look like for you? I do not have a typical workday. I have never clocked in and out. So when I was talking about being a secretary, I actually decided my own hours. So the last time I clocked in and out, I was a waitress, I think, in college. So every day is distinctly different. I really do meet my energy as a global consultant. I was always working across timelines and across time zones. And so as long as I'm getting the work done and I'm able to communicate effectively with my colleagues, then I'm going to structure my day in the best way I can. I love the quote, choose a job you love and you will never have to work a day in your life. So Nicole, what do you love about your role? I love the ripple effects. So I have now been running my own company for four years. I've been coaching for more or less 10 years because I did coaching as part of my full-time corporate career. And the ripple effect of watching people I coached six years ago, two years ago, how they lead their organizations, the organizations that they found, the way that they can volunteer their time and their money, the way that they mentor different people than what we see most executives in tech mentor. That has to be the most addictive part of the work that I do. And that requires the ability and the willingness to be long-term strategic thinker. Because today, 
I'm working with a woman in tech who is going to transform in five years, seven years, nine years. And knowing I played a part in that, that is the best. What is the best um, experience you've had in your role so far? Any examples? When people work with me, they continue in the group for as long as they'd like. Because I'm a one-on-one coach, but we have a group element. They can stay even after we're complete. And so what that means is that the longest someone has been in the group is three years because the group didn't exist for a while. And they are beginning to refer each other into positions to hire each other for contracting, consulting, et cetera, for elevating each other onto each other's stages. And I have to say that was unexpected for me. That was not by design. And yes, the good old gals network and being able to facilitate that is the best. And then what is the biggest challenge you've encountered so far and how did you tackle it? Marketing. So I got my own experts, right? So I have amazing service providers. I've made a few mistakes with service providers as well to help me along. I've leaned into getting more clear about what it is that I do. And I take the longer version, like the long game of marketing. And that means, and this has been the hardest part, is as much as I love technology, these channels, most of them, the vast majority, are driven in algorithms that want you to anger or trigger people for engagement. And I made a choice that has cost me money. What do you wish everybody understood about your role? Great coach is an extension of your career goal. What is the one common myth about your professional field that you want to disprove? That coaching is easy and anyone can do it. What do you love about working in the tech industry? Oh, the diversity. We are everywhere and we are doing the coolest stuff and the most boring stuff. So I worked globally. So I ran a global division. I was a global consultant. And I would have never experienced so many incredible different thought patterns and stories for children and food and celebrations and ways of grieving if I had not worked in tech. We really are the spine of every single industry. And that brings so many different people and experiences together. Oprah Winfrey said, I quote, think like a queen. Queen is not afraid to fail. Failure is not a stepping stone to greatness. So Nicole, what has by far been your biggest achievement in your career? That I had the personal wealth to create my own company with more ease and less stress than most people get to. What would you say is the biggest factors help you become successful in your success habits? Yes. So the skill of bravery. So pretty early on, and I didn't have the language for it, I realized that being brave was going to get me places, taking risks and failing. Oh my gosh, have I failed so much. That quote from Oprah really speaks to me. And getting back up. So if I fall down 510 times, I stand up 511 times. And that has been the biggest element is choosing to be brave because it's a skill and allowing myself to stand up after every single failure. How do you measure your performance at work? In coffee. No, it's really through surveys that I do with my clients because their experience is the most important. It happens, you know, every six months. One is extensive, one is short. 
and in their results, because that's what I'm here to do. I'm an extension of their career. With success comes failure. And you did mention you had failures. So what is your biggest failure in your career and what did you learn from it? Okay, this is not the biggest failure in my career, but it's the one that I learned the most from. I was on a stage. One of my colleagues had gotten sick. I was not supposed to be the person there, but I was this, you know, attractive, late 20s, tall woman who knew how to moderate. I was given a mic on this massive stage. And all I had to do, all I had to do was introduce the CEO. All I had to do was say this man's name and welcome him onto the stage. So I said the wrong name. I said the wrong name. So embarrassing. So embarrassing. But what did I learn from it? Well, I learned something instantaneously in the moment. Number one, I won't die. Number two, he kind of jogged up those steps and he put his hand on my shoulder, not around my shoulder. For the men who listen to this, stop that. Stop putting your arms around people. Put your hand on the shoulder. He had himself mic'd already. And he said, hey, listen, we're all going to make mistakes as we transition from waterfall development into lean, agile scrum. We're all going to make mistakes. And it's going to be so important that we make those mistakes and that we also continue to move forward. And then he launched right into his presentation. Listen, that is leadership. I never got consequences for that. I didn't lose my job. I didn't get less visibility. I didn't have my pay cut. I didn't get yelled at. I got corrected later. There was an honest conversation. And then moving forward from that, the third thing that I learned from that is that we all get to choose what we do next. Because I recently told that story to someone I know for a fact was in that meeting. They don't remember it. People just don't remember. What is inspiring and motivating you the most in your role and career right now? generational change. My youngest client right now is 24 years old and she is not going to marry Poppins her way through or Peter Pan her way through her life. She is not going to save these men. And I am so motivated by that and it is transformational for me. Let us now jump into the influence of mentors, role models, champions, and sponsors. Role models can consciously or subconsciously be a powerful force in our lives. In addition, champions can stand up and advocate for us and open up the world of possibilities. Sponsors match emerging talent with leaders and influential employees who can help us move ahead in our career. Nicole, do you have a mentor, champion, or a sponsor today? Absolutely. I have many of them. For someone who grew up with lack of connections and lack of wealth the way I did, the only way I was able to break through was through relationships and networking. In fact, I teach my clients how to build their own board of advisors. This is so important. Was the female non-binary or transgender role model you look up to in the film? So she's also a really good friend. Her name is Arzu Zarafshan, and her startup is called Call Emmy. I'm also an investor. So as we become more senior, these relationships become more multi-leveled. It's not like early in the career where that person's your mentor, that person's your sponsor, and that's it, right? And her persistence, because she is solving a real problem. We have men come home from work. This is generally stated. Men come home from work and they're done. Women come home from work and they start making dinner. Then you add on the older generation and the caregiving, the younger generation and the caregiving. And her startup is solving that problem while creating opportunity, security, and well-paid service positions for the people on her platform. 
And she has gotten so much pushback. It's just a fundamental lack of understanding from so many people who have such great wealth because they don't have this huge gap in having multiple roles because they have a chief of staff and a secretary and a wife and a housekeeper and a no, 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 no. And so they don't understand the problem. But the way that she keeps her heart open and the way that she consistently finds new solutions inspires me every day. It's why I'm an investor. It's why I'm a client of Kalemi. And it's also why she is just one of my mentor, sponsors, leaders, role models in these periods. History shows it has been more common for men having mentors, champions, and spouses in business than women. So Nicole, how important do you think it's to have a mentor, champions, and spouses during one's career? I'm actually going to quote the Forbes CEO Council from 2017. 100% of the people, most of them men, on that council said relationships were the reason for their career success. The reason. Let's move on to leadership. Adina Friedman, president and CEO of Nasdaq, said, I quote, Empowering those around you to be heard and valued makes a difference between a leader who simply instructs and one who inspires. Ex-CEO of Facebook, I quote, leadership is about making others better as a result of your presence and making sure that the impact lasts in your absence. Because what does leadership mean to you? Belief in who the person wants to become and bravery to have the important conversations with them. What do you consider a good versus a bad leader? A bad leader is in it for themselves. A good leader is someone who sees the individual and stretches and grows them while keeping an eye on the company or organization targets and remembers that that is a human being, being human in the world. And I really like to quote, there's a gentleman who founded a company called SAP. His name is Hasso Platna. One of his quotes was, when a person works at SAP, the CEO, the leader, becomes responsible for the financial health for that person's family as well. And I think if more people looked holistically at the human instead of the function, we would have fewer bad people in leadership, people behaving badly in leadership positions and more good leadership. Who is your favorite female non-binary or transgender tech leader and why? Okay, we're going to go way off for this one. So I do not believe that Alok would say they were in the tech space. However, I strongly believe that Alok as an activist, as a marketer, as a comedian, as an author is in the tech space because the tech channels are how Alok is sharing the message of trans joy, trans humanity, trans grief, and just being trans. And that makes me a better woman in tech. How would you describe yourself as a leader? Imperfect, brave, challenged, human. And as a leader, what values are most important to you? Direct, kind conversation and communication clear decision-making. What leadership lessons have you learned that have formed you into the leader you are today? Take the risk. So let me give you a concrete example. And I have her permission to share her story, but not her name. 
I am not a detail-oriented human being. So if you're running a consulting group, you kind of need details. So I was getting lost in the weeds. Thankfully, my then manager said to me, let's see if you having a secretary will help you out. Well, I wasn't senior enough to have a secretary. So this was an exclusion. So I was only going to get part-time person, which was great, right? And I didn't get to dive into the pool. I got the ones that are quote unquote troublemakers or underperforming or complicated or whatever it was. So the first person who, and I ended up doing this a number of times, who came over was quote unquote underperforming and complicated and all this stuff. She was just bored. And that experience taught me to take the risk. One of the best entry level persons I had ever had was from um, Bangladesh. And had to move into Germany, new culture, new language, new religion for the main group of people, right? Totally far away from the extended family, was so nervous, but was willing to do the work. Take the risk. What are your three strengths and three weaknesses? Oof. So strengths are I'm very resilient. I'm very persistent. And I am super curious. I want to learn all the things. Weaknesses are I'm very persistent, very resilient, and I'm very curious because I truly believe that every single strength becomes a weakness at some point. And with persistence, I stayed in situations that were not worthy of my heart and my intelligence for too long because I was persistent. Let us now jump into hottest topic in business today, workplace culture, unlocking the power of diversity, equity, inclusion. Nicole, what does diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging mean to you personally? Well, it means my entire life changed because as much as I am a white woman from a Christian culture, I also grew up very poor and with a stutter. There was no reason for me to be in the rooms that I was in. So thankfully, there was some sort of diversity. But on a much greater scale, In my perspective, that's just human. If we could come back to, not in all of our ways, but in some of our ways, if we could come back to being a toddler, toddlers, they're not worried about being perfect. They keep trying, right? They're not worried about what clothes someone has or how they pray or any of that stuff. They see the human and then they respond to the human. And that for me is what I would like it to be in the world. Of course, we know it isn't, but that's what I would like it to be. What do you consider being three to five signs of good company culture if you were to join a company? I always encourage my clients to ask as many questions as they answer in interviews. That is going to tell you so much. Are they willing to answer your questions? That is so powerful. Number two, can you speak to people in the environment? If not, why? Are they overworked? Are they a closed, exclusive culture? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then the third thing is governance. When I do contracting work, so I also do change management, contracting work on the organizational and strategic side, I always ask them what their governance framework is. As a woman, what has been the most significant political or cultural barrier in your career and how have you overcome these challenges? Becoming a mother. Now, my answer is incredibly privileged. Number one, I had the choice to become a mother or not. Became a mom the first time when I was 30, second time when I was 32. I was an American living in Germany. And I had an email that literally said I was passed over because I had two small children at home. Now, ask good questions, have the brave conversations, build the trust, and people will put that stuff into writing. 
When I talked to HR, they told me I didn't understand the culture. And I offered that we have the conversation in English if they were going to say I didn't understand the culture. I had the privilege to relocate, but I had to relocate becoming a mother. Why do you think it's important for more women, women of color, non-binary and transgender to join the tech industry today? We are the spine of the world. Everything happens over tech. And tech right now is stodgy, it's old, and it's exclusive. When people tell me, oh, I'm not really a tech person, my response is, that's great. You're not a mediocre white person. You are you. So go be you as a woman, as a brown person, a black person, a transgender human. You go be you, and we have to catch up with you. So come join us. Help us catch up. Do you and how do you speak with your colleagues, peers, and community about DEIB challenges, for example, salary gaps and promotions? All the time. One of my core projects was restructuring from a change management perspective. I was the change lead, restructuring the global salary bands and job functions. And I got to see the data black and white, red and black. So I speak very openly about this. It's one of the reasons that some larger companies have an issue with me and why I don't get invited onto their stages. I will point out, hey, look at us. We all look the same. We all sound the same. Look at us. And so it's really bravery, the three steps of bravery. Clarity, get real clear, speak openly and kindly. Momentum, get the facts, feel the feelings, bring both of them into the conversation. And then be accountable. The third part is accountability. Who do you want to be and be that person? Now, accountability is not governance. Governance is control. Accountability is two of and for one's self. So that's how I talk about it. And I talk about it all the time. There are many public and internal discussions about the barriers women, women of color, non-binary and transgender face from reaching high position in the history. How do you feel and it's affecting you. And what is your advice on how to best unblock these roadblocks? So it's affected me in that there was one point in my career when I discovered I was making 30,000 euros less than the worst male performer on the team. Now, with 43 years old, I would have handled that situation slightly different. But I was 28. I knocked on my manager's door and I was like, we don't have a meeting, but I am angry. <laughs> so speak directly. Then when it became to being a mom, I relocated. That was very sad, but that was what I needed to do because I didn't want to go part time. I wasn't ready to start my own company at that point. And then the next time when I kept watching very amazing people from all over the world be replaced with mostly married white German men from a specific area of Germany, not even just the whole country, they were replacing amazing, inclusive, incredibly diverse humans. I looked at the strategy and I looked at the decisions and I said, I'm not going to say that this is wrong. I'm going to say it's wrong for me. So I'm going to work with a coach. I'm going to figure out what it is that I want and I'm going to go create that. Wonderful. Today, tech companies spend a lot of marketing money to attract women, women of color, non-binary and transgenders. However, at the same time, they're finding it hard to retain them. Articles show that women are leaving the tech industry. You have seen too. What is your best advice or strategies for how companies can work to build a stronger corporate culture that engages gender diversity and equity? Governance. If you have to release your quote unquote rainmakers for bad behavior and exclusive hiring, do it. Governance. Hold people to the standards. 
and that includes yourself. You start with yourself, hold others to the standards you hold yourself to. And that at the end of the day is where it is. It is so easy to get onto a stage and say, we're inclusive, we're diverse, we're growing, we have it. And it is so hard to look in the mirror. And this was a hard moment for me in my career. The first team that I built, we looked different, we sounded different, but we were all extroverts who could not do detail leveled work. I had to look in the mirror and say, I have totally messed up. You want to keep more women? You want to keep more people who are black, brown, indigenous? You want to keep more people who identify as transgender or non-binary, neurodiverse, different generations, a member of the LGBTQ extended community? Well, look in the mirror and hold yourself to account. What would you say are the few challenges of implementing a DEIB culture in a workplace today? I can just sum it up in two words. It's white supremacy. There are 15 tenets of white supremacy, and you do not have to be white to be practicing white supremacy governance. Why and how do you think companies would benefit from having not just women, women of color, non-binary and transgender leaders, but actually higher gender representation at C-suite level and boardrooms with actual mandate? So we've known since the 1980s watching, for example, Iceland. But we also know from organizations like the Catalyst Institute, we can even go and talk about Sheryl Strandberg. Companies who are inclusive last longer, make more profit, have a better operating margin, and have significantly higher rates of positive press. We have known this for forever. That conversation is over. The only reason that this is not happening is because it threatens insecure people. Dear listener, you walk in to your board area, your team, whatever, and you look around, that is the result of insecurity. I, like, listen, Coco Chanel was a Nazi sympathizer, okay? And she also said one thing that I offer, she did not live a la governance, okay? A la accountability. But she said, make sure the people you have surrounded with are as good or better than you are. As good or better. How much do you think the tech industry has changed regarding these subjects you joined? It hasn't. It hasn't. And I will just point us all to the data. It hasn't. Looking back on your career, what one thing would you have changed in your working environment to break it? I would have started speaking up earlier. I would have volunteered for an inclusion program earlier. And I will just be very frank. I would have had my heart broken earlier. Looking forward, what will you do as a leader beyond the amazing work you're doing as a, to improve the bias for the next generation of women, women of color, non-binary and transgenders? So I am a member of an organization called Anita B. It's for Anita Borg. So anitab.org. And I continue to engage there as a mentor, as a free resource, as a premium coach, and as someone who just says, look, look at me, I did it, right? I'm going to continue with my podcast because it's so important to share, just like you're doing right here. And the third thing that I'm going to do is continue to encourage where I live. I go to the high school and I go to the middle school and I just say, I'm a woman in tech. And it blows certain minds, boys, girls, and non-binary, blows their minds when a woman like me walks in and says, yep, I'm a woman in tech.
Let us move on to another hot topic in business today, which is work-life balance and mental health. Nicole, you have without a doubt a busy lifestyle. How do you take care of yourself to maintain good mental health? <laughs> three S's plus an I. Sun, which is easy in Colorado. We have 320 some days of sun a year. It's the best. Okay, sun. But if you do not live in a sunny area, please get a proper sun lamp. Not one of the cheap ones. Get a proper one that actually replicates the sun raising and setting and all those things. It makes a huge difference. I gave them as Christmas gifts one year to my direct reports, and it made a huge difference in everyone's lives. So sun, social, be connected to people. Even during 2020, when we were all locked down and we were using tech as the singular place for us to connect with people, be social and not social with people. You should be in community with the people who generally you enjoy and they enjoy you. And if you do not know who enjoys you, get therapy. Number three, sleep. Sleep quality and sleep length is so important. And then the I is invest in yourself. Whether that's going to the gym, hiring a coach or a therapist, mentoring others is an investment in yourself and buy yourself some nice socks and underwear. It totally changes the game. Have you ever expanded burnout? Yes. So it wasn't a clinical burnout, but I couldn't sleep. I was stressed all the time. I was working 70, 80 hours a week. I hated everything. I was so, so, so thin because all I did was work, run, and perhaps eat. The symptoms are there. You deserve to enjoy your life. How did you tackle? Oh, well, I was still in Europe, so I took extensive time off. I reported the manager that was harassing me to our union. I rebuilt my board of advisors, and I went to sleep. What is your advice on how companies can create a more mentally healthy workplace in the new now? Stop laying people off. And I've been a part of change teams that were part of a layoff. There was a layoff element. I have laid my own people off, et cetera. Okay. Here's the deal. Since 2021, and the CEOs of tech companies, they're not hiding this. They're literally saying we need to quote rebalance the power structure, right? They're saying, quote, we need to create more fear and humility in the market. These are quotes coming out of Davos, coming out of the CEO councils, et cetera. They have both laid people off and elevated the targets and goals. Stop it. Productivity has skyrocketed. We are human. These decision makers all over the world are creating the environment to drive profit that's not necessary. You can only sit on one yacht at a time, okay? You can only wear one pair of shoes at a time, to, to quote Botswana wisdom, right? And you are driving burnout in your people. It's enough. We need to come back to the idea that we are one community. And when we are all doing well, guess what? We are all doing well. What motivates you? every day to get out of bed. My two children. Beautiful. Now, let us wrap up with a few words of wisdom and a piece of advice for our listeners. Nicole, what is the best piece of advice you've been given that has helped you during setbacks in your role and career? Listen all the way through. When I've messed up, I listen all the way through. I ask for times to reflect and then I apologize, a proper apology. I take accountability for what I did I describe my motivation. I take accountability for the impact and I ask for forgiveness. 
Now, when it was a setback from outside of myself, right, I consistently invested in myself. Therapy, hire a coach, get more sleep, stop working so much, spend some time with my friends, get a certification, et cetera. And fire your manager. Sometimes you just got to fire your manager, okay? And then what is the worst advice you've ever been given and how do you tackle that? I prepared for this and I'm still so angry 15 years, 20 years later. So to set the stage, I'm about 5'9", so I'm, uh, what is that, 172 centimeters, I think, something along those lines. Quite thin, very long hair, relatively pretty, white woman. I have a lot of allergies, so I cannot dye my hair. I can only wear certain types of metals. And I'm not what we would call fashion forward. Okay. J. Crew, which is a company here has staples, you know, the reds, the greens, the mauves, the blacks, the creams. That's more my skein. Okay. So I had a male manager encourage me in my late 20s to lean into my female beauty. Let's put it that way. I'm not going to quote him. Into v-necks, into flashy necklaces, into high boots. Like this man talked For three or four minutes, basically objectifying me, which leads to violence, as we know. It was the worst advice I have ever gotten. To be very clear, he was not hitting on me. He was telling me how to go be successful in my career by leaning into my gender and sexuality. I'm still angry about it all these years later. And the reason I'm still angry about it is because I didn't ever report him, speak up about him. All I did was quietly warn fellow women behind closed doors. And I would totally redo that. Now, somebody says something dumb to me. I was in a contract. Somebody said something along the lines of like, well, if we take her along, she's just so pretty. She looks so good at the booth. And I stopped the meeting and I said, I know. I did not just hear that. I know you would never think of your colleague that way. So I ignored it. I did a good job. And I got myself out of that contract where the guy told me to lean into my femininity. I got out of that project as soon as humanly possible. Worst advice I ever got. Now, if you like to dress up like that, if you love to wear makeup and beautiful jewels and it feels good for you and you love V-necks, do that. But that is crap advice. Sorry you had to go through that and thank you very much for sharing that. Is there something you wish you would have known or a skill you wish you had while starting out in the tech industry? Negotiation. I wish I would have known how to negotiate. I wouldn't have ended up 30,000 euros underpaid. I grew up with this concept, probably because, you know, most of the people I knew were either farmers or they were blue collar, right? And so it was very like in your face. And sometimes it has to be in your face. If your boss is telling you that you have to work throughout your entire holiday, yes, you need to be in the face, right? But most of the time, it's about creating a win-win. And as soon as I had a mentor who told me I'm not allowed to say his name because I say his name too much, but I'm talking about you, teach me how to negotiate, whether it was for project budget or my own salary or my team's investments in a win-win, clarity, brave sort of way, so much changed in my career. And if you had the ability to go back in time to where you were just at the beginning of your career, what advice would you give to your younger self? Leave faster. So this is what I actually tell when I'm mentoring people or when I'm coaching people. 
And I have a TikTok about this as well. The first sign of fuckery, believe them. What advice would you give to young girls, women, women of color, non-binary and transgenders who want and trying to break into STEM fields today, especially wanting to become next generation leaders? The faster you figure out who you want to become, not your job title, not your role, not which company, who you want to become, and then you do the work to become her, not only are you going to have more success on the outside, it's going to mean something to you. Because trust me, getting that major promotion because you behaved like someone you're not, you will not be able to celebrate for real. I've been there. Don't do it. Decide who you want to become and then become her. Last but not least, Nicole, what is next for you in your role and career in tech? What are your career aspirations? So my next phase is 500 women in tech, however many years that takes, who have chosen to build the skill of bravery through my podcast and they let me know, through working with me, through taking one of my half-day workshops and making their career goal and their structure towards it. But that's what I want to do. I want to do 500 because I did the math. And research is starting to show us that for every person who is quote unquote non-dominant in their hyper local area who reaches a specific goal or breaks some sort of barrier, they actually directly influence at least five. So let's do the math. And we have made incredible impact so quickly. Can't wait to follow and see that. Thank you so much, Nicole, for being a guest on the Queens of Tech podcast, sharing a journey with without a doubt, inspired change, and reshape company culture for the next generation of women, women of color, non-binary, and transgendered leaders in tech. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. If you have worked in the tech industry minimum three years and would like to share your journey, please nominate yourself or somebody you know to i at jasminemoradi.com. For more podcast episodes and to learn more about the Queens of Tech initiative and to support us, visit queensof.tech.